You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Uh, we're in the last week of a journey that has sought to take a long-term investment, it, take, take the long-term investment into our born-again lives with Christ. Um, and basically what we've done over the last month or so is lifted the lid on what we, what's commonly known as the spiritual disciplines. Our goal has been to explore ways to live like Jesus uh, and to spend time with Jesus and to delight and enjoy God and uh, to focus in on what it means to become holy as he is holy. Uh, we opened in week one thinking about this, thinking about these, you know, the shape was these five Fs, you know, shaping around Dallas Willard's quote of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, to be doing what Jesus did. Our five Fs were, it's a new setup, it's just the speakers are still freaking out. Uh, our following of Jesus to be with Jesus means a fellowship. Following Jesus means fellowship with Jesus. If you say you're a follower, then you are fellowshipping with Jesus. And if you are fellowshipping with Jesus, if you're spending time with Jesus, you will be formed by Jesus to be more like Jesus, following fellowship, formation. And as you are formed to be more like Jesus, to be doing the things that Jesus did, you will bear fruit. You will bear fruit. And that fruit will again be expressed back into fellowship, not only with Christ, but also his people, the church. In short, uh, we have been seeking to take seriously the call of the Bible and the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ. That as we read in the book of Colossians, it says, if then you have been raised with Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. As Peter writes to the churches in the dispersion, as obedient children, are you a child of God? Do you call yourself a child of God? As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also to be, are to be holy in all your conduct. As Jesus said, I'm getting pointed at, go back. Yeah, cool. All right. Now, for my next number, no. All right. Chilling with the guitars. How you doing? 
all-embracing community here. Look at this, I'm taking a stand for Jesus, sorry. Be quiet, Louis. It's good, that's good, it's helping. (laughs) Jesus says, if you love me, if you love Jesus, you will keep his commandments. And James, his brother, he goes on to write, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. This series has been one of us seeking to help us take Jesus seriously, to be intentional, to be decided, to be disciplined in our living, to be adjusting the direction and the goals of our living, to be more in sync with God's instructions in Scripture. In many ways, what we have been exploring over the last few weeks has been perfectly logical. That if you're someone that has taken the time to stop and to seriously consider the person and work of Jesus, to hear his teaching, to listen to his invitation and to consider his commands, if you've taken the time to do those things, you'll want to be with Jesus. You want to abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in being with Jesus, you'll then naturally start to become to live like Jesus. You'll obey God and live like Jesus Christ. And the more that you live like Jesus, the more your life will be doing what Jesus Christ did. So I wonder, over these past few weeks, how have you found this series? I said in week one that you'll know that you've participated in this series well when you will want to and you will make plans to and you will be going to the places and actions where Jesus longs to convince you of his realness. Adjusting our rhythms of life to put ourselves in the places to see and experience God, to engage and to withdraw, to find delight in God and to deny our flesh for our souls to be restored in him. And to be able to place these habits into what's called a rule of life. I'm not sure how many of you may have taken the time to sit down and write out a rule of life, but at least from this series, it's a language that you can understand and we'll be able to make reference to in weeks to come. Now, all that said, What are we doing in this final week? Well, I have two goals for the next few minutes. Two goals based on where we've come from. The first is I want to help you fill out your motivation for abiding in Christ. I want to help fill out your motivation for abiding in Christ. Motivation for pursuing Christ through the spiritual disciplines. I want, to, I, want to help you, I want to help fill that out. And I want to help you live out the application of abiding in Christ. So to fill out motivation and to live out the application. Motivation. I want to help you fill out your motivation in abiding in Christ. One thing to notice so far in this series. Thus far in this series, mainly, uh, where has your motivation come from in a decided disciplined life for following Jesus? Where has your motivation come from? Where has it come from? 
From what vantage point does your motivation for a cross-centred life come from? Well, the answer is in the question, isn't it? Where does the motivation for a cross-centred life come from? It comes from the reality of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. It comes from a past reality that Jesus has secured in Je- God has secured in his son, Jesus. Been very intentional throughout this whole series for us to ground the posture of our living based on what God has done in and through Christ for us. There's no seeking to earn and deserve. We can't do that. We've been thinking about grace-driven effort from what God has done on our behalf. We've looked to the cross for us to be able to make a decided decision in what our own self-sacrificing, take-up-the-cross-of-Christ type of life looks like, hasn't it? That's where I've hoped our motivation has come, looking back to the cross of Christ. So far in this series, the majority of our motivation has been in the past completed actions of God through the person and work of Jesus. I hope that's where your motivations have been coming from. The Christian life is one of trust. It's one of belief. It's one of confidence. It's one of faith in the good news of Jesus' life, death and resurrection and return for the forgiveness of sin on our behalf. As Paul writes to the church in Romans, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the good news of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of it. It is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. A past reality motivates us for our present living, doesn't it? But I want to help motivate, fill out your motivation for this life by not only looking to the past, I want us to also look to the future. See, the Christian should not only look back on the fulfillment of God's promises in Christ and the achievements of Christ, they should also look forward, shouldn't they? The Christian knows that their born-again life is not one of stagnation. On the contrary, it's a dynamic, vibrant, active and engaged life toward an event. Not only is there a past motivation from what King Jesus has done, but there is also a future motivation of what Jesus will do, isn't there? Jesus invites you to live life with God. Jesus saves you so we can be with God. And that absolutely starts now in this life, doesn't it? To know the peace of God that transcends understanding. To know the joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. To know that all your sins, as far as the east is from the west, that is how far he removes our transgressions from us. And the practice of the spiritual disciplines within a rule of life helps us feel and experience and get a sense and to grow in that reality. But this sanctification, it has a 
culmination point, doesn't it? The direction of a disciple of Jesus is for holiness in knowing God. And there is an event of which that is completed. There is an event. There is an event that is in the earth's calendar that by the love of God, he will call all people forward to stand before him. And that by the love of God, he invites you to walk with him towards that. God has hardwired people for events and the glory of events, hasn't he? He's hardwired us all for events. Some of us become events managers. Yeah, best job in the world. But God has hardwired humans to be event oriented sporting grand final. People want to be in the crowd, to hear the roar, to feel the energy and to be supporting the winning team, don't they? Events orientated. A theatre play. People love the event. They want to watch the performance of the great talents and be drawn into a compelling drama. The theatre event. The maestro or master of his or her craft, we love to see the expression in the event to behold their excellence and to marvel in the things that are magnificent. Coming up next week, WSL Longboard Tour down at Bells Beach. I am going to watch that and watch those guys and girls dance on those fiberglass pieces of PU. It's going to be amazing. We love events. We love seeing beauty. We love being a part of it. We love standing in the crowd. We love beholding these glories. Events and beauty hardwired into into us. We want to experience wonder and whimsy. Now, I think that this is in our DNA. This This tickles our fancy because what it shows us is actually a deep, profound longing for the future that is still to come for us all. The grandest event of God's appearing once again to this world, face to face. The psalmist gets it. Psalm 27. One thing I have asked of the Lord. He just narrows it down. One thing. One thing I've asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing. If you could to ask God one thing, what would it be? I just want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That's my one thing. <laughs> Gazing. Awesome. Paul gets it. He writes, the church in Philippi, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. There is an event in the calendar of this world still to come. The Bible calls it the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. And it's 
The Bible says for some, it will be terrific to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And for others, it will be terrifying. Terrifying. Terrific and terrifying because everyone will meet Jesus. Everyone will meet their maker. Everyone will give an account for the life that they lived. And for those that have placed their trust in the person and work of Jesus to save their souls, it's terrific. It's like coming home. It's like coming home. Big, long, hard day. Hungry, sore, tired. You've been alone. Come home to rest. To the embrace. To the Lord's table. And to be welcomed and to be refreshed, and to be renewed. And if you don't right now trust in, believe in, have confidence in, have desire for, long to hear from Jesus, your maker, it's not going to be a good day. God has given us And we've been exploring in the last few weeks the spiritual disciplines. We can actually, through these spiritual disciplines, get a taste for that event still to come. We can get glimpses of God through reading God's Word, through prayer, through church fellowship, through serving, through giving, through taking Jesus seriously and doing what He says is good for us as His children and creation. We are able to get glimpses of God. But that event... The day of the Lord in the calendar, every eye will see, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to read, I'm going to read it again. This is just so good, this event. I'll read out a little bit more from the wedding supper of the Lamb. It says, peering forward, peeling back the curtain of what's to come for human history. Check this out, Revelation 19, recorded to us by John, disciple of Jesus. Jesus gives him a vision of what's ahead. 19, Revelation 19, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out tens and thousands and hundreds and thousands and millions of people, Hallelujah! Praise God, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. Let's party. We're home with God. Come on. The marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Wedding feast time. Party time. It only gets better from here time. (laughs) Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city 
new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Let that sink in. Death shall be no more. Death shall be no more. What does that change for you? Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. He who was seated on the throne, he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Do you want to be there? Do you want to behold the glory of God? You want to participate in that event? If you've humbled yourself, given your life to God, admitted and continue to admit your lack of ability to be holy and only by throwing yourself upon the mercy of God can you have any hope. If you've put your faith in Jesus and are trying to follow him, if you confess your mouth with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You're in. Not by any merit of your own doing, but because of God's loving kindness to you, to show mercy to you, to be like, I love you. I want you here with me. So I sent my son to go and get you and to prepare you and to bring you to me because Jesus, he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. No one comes to me apart from him. Does this future reality motivate you to be disciplined and decided and intentional in your living for God here and now? Does our enjoyment of a guaranteed event still to come meaningly give you motivation in preparing for these events? Maybe you might be asking, Yeah, I think so, Louis. I think so. It kind of makes sense that I'll do a few things. But do I really need to prepare for something that's like secure and certain? Like I thought if I believe in Jesus, I'm in, right? Can't I just do what I want? Can't I just do what I want until that happens? Anyone thinking like that? Or is it just me? Just me that wants to exploit some of this grace. I've thought that before. Well, you see, if you're a Christian... 
you're in God's family, you're not a spectator of this event only. You're on the team and you are part of the play. See, the grace-driven effort that you invest into your time with God now, it's evidence of you having understood the grace given for the inheritance to come, isn't it? We are events-orientated people. And actually the reality of our guaranteed participation in God's future reality will redefine our priorities here and now. If you genuinely believe that that's your future, if you genuinely believe that is secure, if you genuinely understand all that God has done and will do for you on your behalf, it will change the way you live because all great events always have grateful preparation. All great events have a grateful preparation. Have you had a grand event that you've looked forward to? Anyone? What did your life look like leading up to that event? Anyone married here? Who's married? Anyone married? Yeah, a few people married. Good work, well done. We'll be praying for you too. Pray for me. Now, there was some time for the people here that had been married. You were engaged, weren't you? You're engaged. You got to call that person your fiancé. Such a nice word. Almost as good as the word haberdashery, fiancé. Fiancé. Who's this? This is my fiancé? Yeah. Fiancé. Sorry. Getting caught up in semantics. You were engaged. There There was security there, wasn't there, in that engagement period? There was security. There was a ring on someone's finger. Someone had paid a lot of money to be like, you're mine. And here is the evidence and here's the down payment. Here's the ring. Here's the diamond. Or if you're fashionable like some of us, you went for like a London blue topaz. Come on. And the date of the wedding was set. Now, in preparation for the wedding that you knew was set, that you knew like, yeah, she's mine. She's mine. Ring on the finger already. She's mine. Did, did we just do nothing? Like we knew it was guaranteed. But did we just do nothing? In preparation, what were we doing? You know, well, for some people... There's diet ready, isn't there? People go on crazy diets when there's a wedding to come up. Crazy diets. Some have never seen like intermittent fasting, you know, combined with paleo, combined with like some extra thing of like, oh, it's like, you know, they've got to look their best. Now, the dieting, the fasting, the getting ready, you know, to drop a couple of dress sizes for the woman. Will the husband-to-be love her any less or any more because... She's a particular size that she wasn't when they first got engaged. Is the love going to be any more? Men, that's where you say no. No. No, Louis. I love her no matter what. Till death do us part is the promise I will make, in sickness or in health, for richer, for poorer. There's a preparation. There's a getting ready for the grand event, isn't there? And the preparation... It's not just diet. There's also meaningful preparation too, isn't there? You know, when you get married, what do you do? You do pre-marriage counselling, don't you? That's fun. You find out where all your, you know, your different family of origin, you know, parental wounds lie. You're like, oh, gee, you don't want to bring this in. <laughs> Glad we're doing this now. <laughs> if you're not married, do, do, you know. But this investment, this preparation for the event this, 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 this is building up towards the event, but it also goes beyond the event, doesn't it? 
You know, that time together, that getting ready, the preparation, it's not just for the event, it goes beyond the event. And we want to prepare, we want to get ready because we know this thing is a done deal and we're just going to get ready for it. See, this is kind of like how it is for those in the Christian family, isn't it? The church, the future bride betrothed to Christ, we get ready for the wedding day. Like this blows my mind when I think about this. It's just like, hold on a minute. We're only in the engagement period with God, with Christ. Like the church is the bride. Jesus is the, br- is the groom. Oh, sorry, you said broom. He sweeps away our sin. Sorry, he's the groom. That means that our relationship with Jesus is still yet to be culminated. And you know what that looks like for like the good Christian couple after the wedding day? Like, gets really good. Kids are in city kids. You're allowed to think this way. Our relationship with God gets culminated. Like, there's a, there's, it, like it's glorious. Every eye will see, every tongue confess, every knee will bow down that God he is God to the glory of God the Father. Come on. Like, that's where we're headed. We get ready. You know, future events make us do crazy things in preparation when we know that they're secure and we know that they're guaranteed. They change the way we live. You know, think of the new grad going into his new job with the up and coming company. He can't even believe he got this job. How did, why did, what did they even see in me that they hired me? Still, Nate, there's two months to go before we bring you in. He's just like, oh, what can I do? I've got to do some PDs. I'm going to get ready. I'm going to like prepare for this new job. You know, the paperwork is signed. Like I'm good to go, but I'm going to get ready for this job that I'm going to have. It's going to be great. And then when they start the job, it's not all about day one, but it's about everything that's going to come after. Now, we don't, in the, in the Christian life, we don't know exactly what, what the everything to come after is, but we just know we get a taste for future glory here and now. And we align our lives and we prepare for the big event. So I ask, is your life characterised by a grateful getting ready for what Jesus has guaranteed? Are you looking not only to the past, but also looking to the future reality of your faith with God? A filled out abiding in Christ. Our motivation is not only just looking back, but also looking forward. It's not just looking at the cross, but also looking to the rider on the white horse. Looking forward to the day of the Lord. Look forward to the day of the Lord. Pray, come Lord Jesus. And let that fill you with hope and energy and clarity and confidence for how you are to live here and now. Two eyes, two views, promises fulfilled in the cross and promises still yet to be fulfilled in the second coming of Jesus. Let that fuel your relationship with God. Now, please allow me a few minutes to talk about living out the application of abiding in Christ, the application of abiding in Christ. Now, the logical question at this point, I think, is if the whole point of our existence is this great event that where God is going to bring us into his presence with restored bodies, celebrating him, seeing his glory, why aren't we there yet? Like if the goal is 
be saved, be with God, have new life. It's awesome. It's majestic. It's holy. And we're in His fearful, wonderful presence, enjoying our new existence in the heaven and earth. Why doesn't God just take us in the moment where we throw ourselves upon the mercy of Christ and place our trust in Jesus? Why doesn't He just, why do we have this shadowy Venn diagram, you know, now but not yet, but in the meantime, just do some spiritual disciplines type of living now? Why aren't we there yet? If that's where we're heading, if that's the event. Well, to that question, I think we can ask this. If you have been on the receiving end of God's love and you know that your future is secure and that God is still willing to sustain you here and now through moments of encounter, character change and encouragement, through things like the spiritual disciplines, prayer, His Word, His people and praise. Do you think that before you go, that you have anything to offer to the world? Do you think that as a new person, renewed in Jesus with the good news, the good news that right now God is offering new life to the whole world, do you think that you have anything to offer to your friends, your family and your co-workers? As a Christian person, speaking to Christian people here and now, do you genuinely think that you have something to give to your non-believing neighbours, family, friends and co-workers? Maybe put it this way, does your informed belief in heaven to come, eternal life with kind King Jesus, give you any reason to hang back so you can invite others to come with you? Or does your informed belief in hell give you a reason to perhaps stay back a little longer so that you can warn others about what is avoidable because of the grace of God? because of his goodness and loving kindness. There's a great first world human problem that so easily gets dragged in as baggage into our first world Christian lives. It's an attitude of someone else will deal with that. That's someone else's job. We, could, we walk past rubbish on the ground. Someone else will deal with that. That's someone else's job. We notice problems in the world and we think someone else will deal with that. That's someone else's job. We see a need and we don't verbally say it, but there's a thought that flashes past our conscience. Someone else will deal with that. That's someone else's job. Like ever go into a public toilet? Seen it real messed up in there. Someone else will deal with that. That is someone else's job. Or am I the only one? And we can give reasons like inconvenience, finance, energy. That job is below me. I'm too busy to do, doing more important things. We can even give good reasons. 
like to not intervene in this situation is perfectly acceptable. Like that person had it coming based on their actions. But remind me again the effect of the spiritual disciplines. Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. Do what Jesus did. And do you know the reality of this world, according to the Bible, is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one that does good. All have turned away. And God would have been perfectly just, would have been perfectly fair for him to have just said, nope. It would have been perfectly acceptable if God just allowed us to have what was coming to us based on our own actions. If we're truly honest with ourselves, we know that our default posture, our human proclivity, our attitudes and our, and our human nature is just a, I'm a good person, I'm not as bad as that guy, and when I see God, he's loving, he'll look after me. But not when we look at Jesus, compare ourselves to Jesus, to what God's standards are. We've no right to even come close to God, to even peer up and look at him. But God doesn't leave us there. God doesn't go, not going to deal with that. It's someone else's job. God puts on flesh. We see Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the exact imprint of God's nature. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in the person of Jesus, which made him God, the Son of God and the Lord, God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. He forgives our iniquity and our transgression and our sin. And he takes the initiative and he comes to us and he rescues us and he cleans us up and he brings us close and he gives us an opportunity so that we can stand in the glory of that big event, the day of the Lord and be safe and enjoy it. See, Jesus's primary priority, he didn't just come down to earth to participate in a few little, you know, spiritual disciplines so that he would have some nice little stories to tell of his delight and his denial and his engagement with withdrawal and all of his nice, you know, neatly calendared theology. What did Jesus do? Luke 4 says, he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus answers, he says to them, it is not the healthy that need a doctor, it is the sick. I have come to call the right, not, to, I've come not, I've come not, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And there has been a promise, there have been promises in the Bible of the arrival of Jesus and these were fulfilled. And there are many more promises of the second coming of Jesus. Jesus says the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and 
Then repay every man according to his deeds. So keeping all that in mind, do you think that as a person, if, if you know that you are renewed in Jesus, and if you are someone with the good news that God is right now offering new life to all the world, do you think that you have anything to offer your family and your co-workers? Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. What is the right application of abiding in Christ? Do what Jesus did. What was Jesus' primary priority? Seek and save the lost. The proper exercising and leaning into the spiritual disciplines in order to know the mind of Christ and to grow in the will of God and to experience Him and to become like Him is is to cause you to no longer consider the lost and broken state of this world as someone else's job. If you are really living out Jesus' command to abide in Christ, if you are a your abiding in Christ will lead to your obeying Christ and Christ will lead you in your going to the world to bear witness about Him. Do you see this logic? Does this make sense? Like if you're, if you're finding that your rule of life in order to practice the spiritual disciplines to spend time with Jesus does not lead you to a greater longing to engage in the mission of God to be making disciples even in the small ways, you know, of channeling time and energy and reputation and agenda and money and preferences, language. If your affections are not being turned and stirred towards the same way that Christ's affections were, then you haven't been spending time with Jesus. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. And I want to help you live out the application of abiding in Christ. Don't, I don't want you to get so caught up in the training that you never step into the game. I don't want you to miss out on being deployed into the mission field, fearing what might come because we know what's to come, the grand event. In Christ, we are safe, we are secure, we are ready and we can go. And, Je and Jesus closes his time on earth with these words to his people, doesn't he? The last, most meaningful spiritual discipline gives you confidence, says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I just, I just rose again from the dead. Don't know if you noticed that. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then what does it say? Teaching them to do all that I have commanded you. And behold, I will be with you until the ends of the earth. Here is your spiritual disciplines hack. 
If you had to go like top tier spiritual discipline, top tier, see and experience the power of God, go and make disciples. That's when Jesus says, I will be with you. Go and sit with someone and pray for them. Take a night out in the week and sit down with a brother or sister in Christ. Be like, hey, let's read about the life of Jesus and take it seriously together. Go to work. And when they say, what did you do on the weekend? Be like, oh, I, um, I spent some time with my church family. Scatter some seed, throw out a hook and go fishing for men. Why? Because maybe you'll actually see the divine power of a sovereign, mighty God do some work by our feeble, measly little actions. In your journey of knowing Jesus, don't stop there. Make Jesus known. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.